Welcome back to In Ema's Eyes, a podcast where we journey through the weekly Torah portion and glean parenting insights along the way. Personally, I've been on this parenting journey for about 25 years now. Well, in truth, most of my life. And I'm just on a quest to learn all I can about being the best parent I can be to my physical children, of course, my own inner child, and as my spiritual children, the students that are in my life, using God, Hashem, as the perfect template. It is my heart that my hindsight can become your insight. So let's learn together. This week we're studying Parshat Shemot. This is from Exodus uh, chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 6, verse 1. We left the book of Genesis last week with Jacob and Joseph's funerals. And the book of Genesis was basically a story, like let's do kind of a bird's eye flyover. Genesis is basically a story of how one man and his family um, knew and was how one man knew and served Hashem turned into a whole family of people who knew and served Hashem. So we turn the page now and we're in Shemot and we see that family of 70 people has now become a great nation of people. So the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are very numerous, it says. And Shemot now is the story. So another bird's eye view. Shemot is actually the story of the birth of the nation itself into from from people without an identity, basically, to people with a collective identity. And that identity is centered around their service of Hashem. So um, including all the birth pangs and everything, all the bloody gory mess, miracles and drama. And, you know, I have had four children um, that I've given birth to, four physical children, and no two birth stories are the same. So uh, welcome to the birth story of the nation of Israel. Okay, so um, it, Shemot begins with, Uh, Jacob's sons all die. Jacob's descendants in Egypt, however, were fruitful and multiplied. That's the first Aaliyah. Second Aaliyah, the Pharaoh calls all the midwives uh, to task for not following orders um, because he had, in the last Aaliyah, had ordered them to kill all the firstborn males. So his he's trying, attempting to white, just do what we would call population control. And um, so the, the Hebrew women are skilled in midwifery and and the midwives explain they're having their babies before we even get there. We can't do anything about it. Um, so then Moses is born and we have this miraculous birth story and he ends up in a basket and going <laughs> canoeing, if you will, in a basket in the, in the Nile as a baby. He's less than, he's about two years old. And, um, so Miriam follows him to see what's going to happen. I'm sure you guys have seen Prince of Egypt, right? And Pharaoh's daughter ends up finding him and brings him into the palace. Uh, the third Aaliyah, he gets raised in the palace. As he matures, he goes out one day and sees an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew. And he, he, um, and he ends up killing, murdering the Egyptian. And so he flees Egypt um, and escapes to Midian, where he marries Zipporah, the daughter of Jethro. Jethro ends up going by several different names in this Parsha and um, and also in the story to come. But uh, it is Jethro each time, according to the sages. Um, they actually say that Jethro's name changes indicates like a... Um, 
what do you call it, like a change of his personality or a change of his service to Hashem or his understanding of Hashem and that he's growing through the story and that's why his name changes? I don't know. Anyway, um, so then in the fourth Aliyah, Moses is out shepherding Jethro's flocks. So he's all by himself in the wilderness, right? And he has arrived on top of a mountain. Then there he sees a bush burning and yet it didn't burn up. It wasn't consumed by the fire. So when he... goes in to take a closer look this is what triggers the experience between him and him and god um the torah actually says that like he he stopped and took a second look and then god called out to him and so god says hey listen i'm gonna go ahead and deliver the israelites from their afflictions and their egyptian masters and then in the fifth aliyah god gives moses his instructions i think this is the aliyah where he argues with him several times and God shows him several miracles and he protests again. And, um, God ends up getting a little angry, but then ends up, um, assigning the speech part of the task to his brother, Aaron, to be the spokesperson. Now I spent a little bit of time praying about this section because I don't know if you're Moses and you, you know, the last time you saw any of the Egyptians or Hebrews, you are, you're, you've murdered somebody. I I don't know. Maybe he's got a point, you know, maybe he's got a point that, um, that he might not be the best person to deliver this message to the Hebrews. I think he's probably convinced that he's perfectly suited to go talk to Pharaoh since he's probably very literate in Egyptian custom as well as Egyptian language. However, um, Aaron is probably the better spokesperson for the Hebrew people because they're probably a little scared of him. (laughs) So the other thing I noticed um, is that this whole uh, drama is about his speech and God has a flash of anger, right? Well, later on in his life, he ends up losing the ability to go into the promised land because of something, because of his speech, because of the things he said, the the thing he says in the incident with the rock. So um, I find that very curious and interesting. So apparently for a guy that has a speech impediment, he sure had a lot to say, right? (laughs) That's a joke from Fiddler on the Roof in case you haven't seen them wonderful Broadway show. Okay. Sixth Aaliyah. Um, Moses takes a wife, his wife and two sons heads for Egypt. Um, God, he goes and warns Pharaoh that God said, my firstborn son is Israel. If you send my son out to worship me, that'd be great. But if you don't, I will slay your own firstborn son. So Pharaoh gets a warning right out of the gate. What's going to happen at the end of 10 plagues. Uh, Moses meets Aaron, who had come from Egypt to to greet him along the way. Um, that's also significant because it looks like God maybe had spoke to Aaron as well. Um, but the Torah doesn't specify, but seriously, how does Aaron know to come meet him? Or maybe he is supposed to go find him, you know, maybe in case Moses doesn't answer the call, Aaron was sent out to go get him. I don't know. But it's very interesting that they, that Moses meets Aaron outside of Egypt because Aaron's looking for him. So that is, should have, I hope to Moses, that was a sign that, that God was definitely in the middle of all of this. So um, and the seventh Aaliyah, which we'll talk more about that. This this week's um, podcast is basically called Minutes and Millimeters and how to find an anonymous God in the circumstances of your life. So I look at the circumstance of Aaron coming out, and even though the Torah doesn't say that that was God's doing, God's anonymous in that particular part of the Torah, uh, 
I, I just go ahead and attribute that to God because it's too coincidental to be anything else. So um, some people would say, well, it's just a coincidence. But other people say, no, that was, that was evidence that God is working in the lives of the Hebrew slaves, and specifically Aaron and Miriam, long before he spoke to Moses. So there was a, there's a cooperation among many people, a synergy that's happening where multiple people are seeing the will of God um, at the same time and cooperating. So, all right, seventh Aaliyah, I'm going to run out of time if I don't wrap this up. Seventh Aaliyah, um, Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and present God's demand. Pharaoh, of course, laughs and then instructs all the taskmasters to increase the Israelites' slaves' workload. And, you know, of course, Moses is angry and bitter about that because he's like, you sent me to do this, and now my people are suffering more than they were before. So we have, so Moses is getting tested and at, for the first time in the whole story. Um, anyway, this story could be called How a Hero is Born because it really is an epic tale of the miracle birth and um, protection of Moses himself. But the story, I think these stories could have multiple titles, right? Let's, so let's have a little fun with this. I, I'd love to hear from you, actually, in the comments. If What would you call this part of the story? Like uh, 10 Ways to Piss Off a Pharaoh, we could call it. Or um, it could also be called the story of how to parent a spiritual midwife child because Miriam is as much a part of the story as Moses is. And uh, if, I would love to tell you more about that. Again, if we get some comments going and somebody wants to know more about the Miriam story, I'd be happy to elucidate in the comments. But there's a special midrash about how that kind of um, fills in the backstory of how important and integral Miriam is to the story, not just in the part where she saves, she watches and saves Moses' life, you know, watches to see what's going to happen to Moses in the Nile. But, oh, yeah, the special part about that story is, like, I'm sure his parents were devastated that he had, they had to put him in the Nile, right? And then she's right there when the Pharaoh's daughter is like, wait a minute, I'm going to need somebody to nurse this child. And she's like, oh, do you want me to go get one of the slaves? And she goes and gets her own mother. So not only did they get to keep Moses in their life for several more years until he was weaned, they also <laughs> they also got paid to do it. It's hilarious. And that is a total God thing. So um, again, circumstance or God? What you tell me. Um, anyway, my main point to this week is that God is back and he's totally in flashy form, way flashier than he's been in the entire book of Genesis since the days of Noah. So God begins a new season of, a, of complete transformation of an entire nation of people with miracles. Now, I don't know about you, but miracles are pretty, um, they usually inspire a lot of emotion. And yet they're not really what's needed to make inner, the inner transformational work that's required to change a person's life long term. They're usually enough for a moment. Um, and much like the story of Pharaoh, where we, you know, at the beginning of Shemot, we're told that this Pharaoh forgot uh, um, about Joseph. That So the miracles that happened through Joseph were basically downplayed. And that Pharaoh decided not to attribute God nor Joseph credit for saving the entire nation of Egypt and the entire region of Canaan around um, from famine and destruction. And so that's how he justified treating the Hebrew slaves so, so poorly. Um, my point being that 
it does change. Uh, the The inner transformation work is is sometimes su- more subtle and harder to do than just God sending a miracle and us all having a, a collective experience together. So anyway, we've returned once again, though, to God interfacing intimately with human history in this book. So no longer is he guiding from the side, he, she, it, whatever God is now the main protagonist of the drama. And we see this dance pattern with with God, sometimes we are we initiate like the Israelites crying out for mercy. Sometimes Hashem initiates like in the burning bush. And we see this beautiful contrast between the more masculine leadership of Moses and the more feminine yet no less powerful leadership of Miriam in a completely different way. So, all right. My parenting touch points this week. Uh, thank you again for listening. I just love doing this podcast and I'm really so glad that you're here with me. Uh, this week, I think that God is much more hands-on, and I be- I'm starting to feel like, um, from studying this over and over again, I feel like God is more hands-on during key transitions in in the lives of individual people as well as the, a, a nation of people. So, uh, and we've been talking about this intimacy dance that I alluded to a few seconds ago in really many different ways throughout the book of Genesis, but... Look at how many details God is getting involved with so far in this story. I mean, these are the kind of details that are like, if 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 Moses's um, trip down the Nile had been two minutes earlier, Pharaoh's daughter would not have seen him, right? And they're millimeters, like there's just seconds, minutes, and millimeters type miracles, and um, you know, like if he hadn't turned back and looked, with the burning bush have spoke? You know, there's all these tiny little miracles. Or how about the scene where they're on their way to Egypt and the angel of death is about to take Moses's life and Zipporah, you know, basically circumcises her sons there and they have to take a a rest, you know, wait there for a few days. But my point is that if she hadn't been discerning about what was about to happen, we might've lost Moses in the whole story. You know, so these are all miracles minute that happen in minutes and millimeters and those type of miracles are much harder to see the hand of God in because they can also be chalked off as circumstances. And so that's kind of where I'm at. Is it a circumstance or is it God just choosing to remain anonymous? What do you think? Um, I have tons of stories I could tell about that too, but we're running out of time. So I will wrap it up with, um, you know, the more flashy type of miracles like the burning bush and orchestrating, weaving multiple human stories into one, you know, in this week's Parsha and be, and from this point through the book of Shemot, God is kind of going all like mama bear on Pharaoh, right? He is like that. Those are my people and you're not going to treat them like that anymore. So um, I have really never been able to understand why God, why people, I mean, give God such a hard time for being fierce. Like I hear a lot of people say he's just such an angry God. And I'm like, I don't think God's angry. I think he's fierce. Like, like the way a mother protects her baby when there's a predator nearby. I mean, that kind of fierce, I guess when I'm fierce like that to protect my kids, it probably does look really angry too. But my heart is that I just, that that I'm out for the child and uh, they can't protect themselves yet sometimes. So (laughs) Uh, anyway, then that, uh, that's my last point is that they can't protect themselves. Sometimes I don't, um, so I don't know if God is an angry God or if he's just, or if God's a fierce mother that's trying to protect his nation from harm. So, um, 
thanks for tuning in. I just hope that the God, I hope that you got something useful out of this podcast. I really would love to continue the conversation with you either in the chat in the new Substack app, that chat thing is so cool or down here in the comments. Um, again, thanks for tuning in and may the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob bless you with eyes that can see God's hand in the minutes and millimeters of your day, your week and your life to, um, until next time. Shalom.